we are still go with Apollo 11. You're listening to Apollo 11 Legacies. The following podcast captures an Apollo 11 legacy panel discussion recorded in Huntsville, Alabama, as part of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary celebration. The eagle has landed. The panels feature people with a personal connection to the Apollo project. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced through a partnership with Intuitive Technology and Research Corporation and WHNT News 19. Three, two, one. Now in 43, we moved to Kirpensee, which is just down the road. And I think the reason for that move was that the British were starting to bomb Pinamunda in 43. Uwe Hütter was a young boy at the time his family had to change locations during World War II. His father Hans was working on the German V-2 missile program at Pinamunde at the end of the war. He was one of the German rocket team members who surrendered to American troops and became part of Operation Paperclip. The Germans were moved to Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, working at the nearby White Sands Proving Ground in New Mexico. Their families had stayed behind in Germany, but in 1946 and 47, they too would move to Fort Bliss. The men and their families would all transfer to Huntsville in 1950. Hans Hüter worked for the Army at Redstone Arsenal until 1960, when he transferred to the newly created NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. Hans' son Uwe would graduate from the University of Alabama as an engineer, and he too worked at Marshall. Here's more from Uwe Hüter about his experience coming to America. This was recorded as part of a panel discussion at the Huntsville Public Library. Well, actually, my dad started in 1930 at the uh, at uh, or the Tegeln uh, uh, Flugplatz, which was uh, near Berlin. And this was in the early 30s, and they were doing a lot of pretty uh, elementary type research at that time. It's just starting and uh, they were playing around. I'll show you a picture of, of some of it. The procedures they were using were not exactly OSHA standards, but uh, <laughs> it was rather interesting how they went about their work. And, uh, and then in, uh, in September of 40, I was actually born then and in Svinamundi, which is about 30 miles from Pinamundi. And I guess the reason I was born there is because of the hospital located there. And, uh, but we were living at that time in Pinamundi. Now in 43, we moved to Kirpensee, which is just down the road. And I think the reason for that move was that the British were starting to bomb Pinamundi in 43. And so apparently some of the partners must have got in bad shape or stuff like that, and some of the families ended up moving out. And so this was just down the road, you know, like 10 miles down the road. And, uh, and from there, after, after the Kirpins, uh, in 45 is when we start doing the trek to the south. The Russians were coming in from the east. The British were sort of occupying the northeastern part of Germany. The Americans were occupying sort of the lower half of Germany, and the Russians had sort of the, uh, the northeastern part of Germany. And so they were within about a hundred, hundred miles of Pinamundi at that time when they decided to start heading south, uh, in a good way, actually. Heading south <laughs> means something else normally, but, uh, but this was actually a, a good turn of events for us. And, 
and we ended up in Lansut in 45. We stayed there till my uh, uh, till we came over in May of 47, or in June we ended up in Fort Bliss, and then we stayed in Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, from 47 to 50. Moved to Huntsville, and then we moved all the way through Huntsville. I went to Joe Bradley School, Fifth Avenue School, East Clinton School, <laughs> all in one grade. This was a, so I was just, you know, one one step ahead to sheriff the whole time while <laughs> going through the school system. And uh, and then we ended up finally at uh, 1409 Locust Avenue. My parents built a house, and we stayed there, and finally put some roots down and stayed there till I graduated from high school. My mother lived in there for years and years afterwards. The house is now gone, but uh, it's, it's that same place. You probably heard of Crowd Hill. There was a, a lot of Germans that were living on that one last block of uh, Locust Avenue. Uh, it was Tessman, uh, our family, Heimberg, Schilling, Von Brown was right behind us. Grunies, Dravas, Siebers, yeah. or Manteuffel at that yeah. time. I think they were there. Too, really. And uh, Palo Well, he came. He came later, though. That was uh, yeah. That was later. But in the early 50s, those were the people living there. And so anyway, we stayed there and uh, sort of settled into Huntsville and, and a, a life off the road finally. In Berlin is where my dad started, and uh, he married my mother, Ruth, in Berlin. My brother, our oldest brother, was born in Berlin. And then in about 39, they moved up to Pinamundi. So from Pinamundi, then they moved to Kalpensee. I was born in Svinamundi. You see, it's right now. It's actually Poland now. The borders kind of moved after the war. And uh, so after. After the, uh, in about uh, 43, after the, uh, we moved to Kerpensee, we stayed there till 45, and then we started taking the trek down. And in, uh, in uh, March of 45 to July of 45, we lived in, in Wied, which is sort of central Germany. All of the scientists and people working on the rockets kind of went to central Europe. That's where they were getting out of the way of the Russians. And at the meanwhile, uh, von Braun and Magnus, who actually surrendered in Austria to the, to the U.S. Army, says, hey, we want to come to America, uh, happened at that time. And then apparently they got the green light, and we ended up moving down to Lansut in 45. In some, it, that was in, uh, in July of 45. So uh, in May, is is when the first contact was made on the surrender of the Germans. And so it, it was a pretty quick timeline considering that uh, yeah. how all this happened uh, because things were moving rather rapidly. The war was coming to an, kind of coming to an end and, uh, and people wanted to make sure that you know, the U.S. was very interested in the scientists and they were worried about the Russians might get them. And so things were moving for a government organization rather rapidly. And, uh, and so we ended up in Lansut, and uh, in 45, uh, my dad went to La Harve and, uh, and took a ship from there 
to the United States. This was in 45. We ended up in 47 going up to Bremerhaven and taking a ship and coming over on a these were bo both on board troop ships. But so <clears throat> my dad actually went through France and we went up through Bremerhaven on our journey over to America. You've been listening to Uwe Hüter, the son of one of the original German rocket scientists who came to America at the end of World War II. We'll hear more from Uwe in just a moment. We return now to the remembrances of Uwe Hüter, the son of Hans Hüter, one of the original group of German scientists who came to the U.S. at the end of World War II. Now, one question that came up last time was, and I went back and tried to figure this out, and, and I put estimate up here because the numbers run all over the map, and uh, I'm not quite sure how accurate this is, but this is kind of the best that I could put together of were all the people went from, at Pinamundi. You know, you've always heard that a large part went to Russia, a large part went to the United States. But it turns out that Pinamundi actually had a lot of people there. And I've, I've seen numbers high as 16,000 as far as number of people that were working up there and all sorts of different things. I mean, they were support people, running power plants, doing other projects. But there were a lot of, a lot of people up there and uh, about 4,000 families. So you're talking about around, somewhere around 16,000 people working in Pinamundi, which kind of floored me when I first, I thought it was, you know, a relatively small place and there were, you know, several hundreds, but I had any, didn't have any idea it was quite this large group of people. And then trying to split this out into who went to, went to Russia and who went to the United States, the best I could get was about 1,800 of these people, of the scientists, out of the 12,000, went to the United States. Now, really, only 218 were rocket guys, okay? So a lot of others went to the Navy or somewhere else. They went all over the place. But the, uh, the contingent that came to Huntsville was basically in this group of 218. They made their own decision, decided they'd surrender to the U.S. Army, and that's how we ended up coming over here, okay? It was, it was, uh, nobody directed, everybody was kind of worried about where they're going to go and what they're going to do, and decided, okay, the best choice to make would be to surrender to the U.S. Army and come to America and, you know, try to continue some of the rocket work, which is what happened. And out of all of these, now, I don't know how many rocket guys went to Russia out of this number here, but the numbers were almost equal in the sense of about half went to Russia, half went to the U.S., but out of that whole group, only a very small percentage were rocket guys. And if you look at Kenny Mitchell's book that he just published, The Cradle of uh, American Space Exploration, uh, out of the 218, 208 moved to Huntsville. And of those 208, 158 transferred to Marshall Space Flight Center in 1960 when it was formed. So about, uh, about 50 of the guys, or 50, yeah, I guess about 50 of the people stayed with the Army. They didn't transfer over to Marshall. Or they, they went to private or, or they left, or they yeah. left, yeah. yeah. 
So we came over, the family came over, and uh, Earth Star I talked about it on the uh, CC Baloo. Mm -hmm. I was sick as a dog the yeah. whole, <laughs> whole seven days or whatever it took. Let's see, it took from the 23rd, that's seven. It took about, about nine days. This one's a little slower than the other one. It took seven days. Yeah. This took nine days. And I was sick the entire time going across. <laughs> I haven't been on a boat since, by the way. And <laughs> <laughs> don't plan any cruises. It was a, it was a emotional experience, a lot of trauma, I thought. So I've gotten away from boats or ships. But anyway, uh, that ship was basically, uh, it was uh, transferred to the U.S. Army in '46. It was a Navy ship, but the Army took over in '46, and then we came over in '47. It was an army ship at that time, then later on it got transferred back to the Navy. Huh. And then finally it got scrapped in Taiwan for all, of all places in 81, so it's gone too. Uwe Hutter will have more of his memories of coming to America and to Huntsville in just a moment. Uwe's father Hans, one of the original German rocket team that came to Redstone Arsenal in 1950. More memories now from Uwe Hüter, the son of German rocket scientist Hans Hüter, one of the original group of paperclip scientists who came to the U.S. at the end of World War II. And when we got to El Paso, uh, so the kids, we kind of played around a lot, and uh, the parents, of course, the dad worked, and mothers took care of the homes, and uh, on weekends, we kind of always left seemed like, because the desert was not exactly their favorite place. <laughs> Even though, as kids, we kind of enjoyed the desert, and it, you know, cool. it was very interesting to us, but to the parents, it was kind of desolate after Germany and all the green trees and stuff like that. So on a lot of weekends, we ventured to New Mexico, and, and uh, Ursula mentioned a couple of those names, yeah. but you can Crop, see you can see some of the places yeah. we visited on weekends. And we'd drive, and we'd be reading comic books in the backseat. You know, the roads end in going to New Mexico. They kind of go along, then they dip down. Was gullies for water washing through when they have some rain, you know, and stuff like that. But the roads just kind of followed the terrain. No bridges were built. They just kind of, and you'd sit in there read. And my brother would get just definitely car sick just from the motion of that kind of stuff. But we'd sit back there in the back seat and read, and my dad would he used to say, Why don't you kids look around? Look at all the wonderful scenery. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> typical, typical kids, you know. Not interested. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so what we did is on weekends we'd go to these different places. This was about 150 miles kind of radius from El Paso. And when we went on longer vacations, we'd get up into the top part of New Mexico, like Taos, Red River. I, I finally remember Red River, because at that place, we used to go up there and stay for a week or two. And um, we'd rent the horse by the day. And you'd, we'd take the horse back to our cabin and you know just keep it and just ride around wherever <laughs> you wanted to. It was just for a kid with a six gun, cat <laughs> shooter, it was, it was the ideal place to go to, you know. It was really, really nice, we thought. But uh, one of the other stories on this uh, is in uh, Elephant Butte Dam Reservoir. One 
one day my my dad wasn't a fisherman or anything like that, so he we hardly ever or had any kind of boat as, as such. So we never went to Elephant Butte then, but he decided to borrow from Klaus's dad blow up boat. <laughs> and so it, it collapsed. And so we, we put it in the car and drove up to Elephant Butte Dam. And then it, I'm sure it had a pump, but I remember us kids blowing on that damn boat for hours until <laughs> we almost passed out. You know? I mean, and it had to be blown up. And it, that's the last time we went on that one. That's, that's, <laughs> we revolted if he ever brought that one up again, that we'd have to go blow up a boat. But uh, it was a nice boat. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, Ursula mentioned Carlsbad. Yeah, we went there too, you know, and the box lunch was down at the bottom after you went through the whole thing, and then mm -hmm. you took the elevator back up mm -hmm. after you walked down, and uh, it was really nice and cool at the cool. time too. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so these are all the places that we visited and uh, spent the weekends at. Uh, got to see things like you don't see in Texas, chipmunks, squirrels, and those kind of things, <laughs> wildlife, besides lizards and horned toads and, you know, those kind of things that we saw in El Paso. But it was a really a fun time. We, we kind of enjoyed the excursion in, yeah. into the forest, especially my parents. Like I said, we kind of enjoyed the desert also, but uh, I, I think they uh, kind of got enough of it after, during the week. Now, Ursula mentioned also that we entered the uh, United States. We came over, and we were kind of illegal immigrants, if you want to call it that. Uh, sanctioned, though, by the Army, but still illegal immigrants, or, or non-existent immigrants, I guess. And in, uh, in, in September of 49, they decided to uh, make us legal. And so they took us all across the border, and like Ursula mentioned, that in the streetcar we kind of rode across the border and became official, not citizens, but uh, immigrants to the United States, legal immigrants. Okay, then after living in El Paso till 1950, we decided, well, it's time to hit the road again. And so uh, we took off. In our Nash car, the, the Nash had a unique feature. People may not remember that, but you could make the make it into a bed. The back seat rest folded up. It hung up on the uh, sort of on the uh, straps, and uh, then the bottom part, the seats folded down, so you had a bed below, and then you could even lay a, a child, which we were at that time. <laughs> on top of the uh, backrest, you know, by the window. So the way this worked is at night when we stopped, Ike and I would sleep in the car. Mother and dad and the daughter slept in the motel. <laughs> and uh, it saved having two motel rooms or getting something large enough. Money was not exactly in excess at the time. We were all struggling. But uh, so we were, went to San Antonio, the Alamo, had to see that, you know, did a lot of sightseeing on the way yeah. up. It sounds like the same trip that you yeah. took on us. Uh, the one thing I remember, and I haven't been able to verify it, we had to kind of scoot out of Corpus Christi and, and take off and, and, and hustle back 
to Alabama, or Hassel to Alabama because there was a tornado or a hurricane developing. Um, in, and I've, looked, I've tried to look up the record of hurricanes at that time, but I never have found one existed. But I do remember, clearly remember, my parents talking about, hey, we've got to get moving. The hurricane's coming. We can't sit around and sightsee all day long. And so, you know, hustle the kids, and that's on to Alabama. So we got to, uh, we got to uh, Huntsville, or Alabama, and this was like late Sunday afternoon, and we decided to stop and have supper, and my dad ordered a beer. And so the guy kind of looked at him and said, what? <laughs> so first of all, we don't serve beer. Second of all, it's Sunday, and we definitely don't serve beer on Sundays. <laughs> and my dad kind of said, what kind of place are we moving to? You know? <laughs> Unheard of. But uh, anyway, so we headed on up to Huntsville and, uh, and stayed there since. Thanks to Uwe Hüter for sharing his memories of coming to America and to Huntsville. Uwe, the son of German rocket scientist Hans Hüter, who was one of the original group of German paperclip scientists. Those scientists surrendered to American troops at the end of World War II. This was recorded during a panel discussion featuring Uwe and several other children of the German rocket experts. We invite you to listen to our other podcasts on this subject and more as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. Go to the Apollo 11 tab at the top of our website, whnt.com, where you'll also find other interesting items on North Alabama's contribution to America's manned spaceflight history. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced in partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology. Content made possible with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center's Legacy Panel Lecture Series. Music provided by Megatracks.